You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. And welcome to episode 62 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series The Nom, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. In this episode, I will be continuing the Death of Joe Hallen storyline with a look at part two, which was the story in issue number 55 of The Nom. Our song this time around is Creedence Clearwater Revival's Run Through the Jungle, which was released as a double A side with Up Around the Bend in 1970 and spent 11 weeks on the charts, peaking at number four. It's also the subject of one of the more interesting copyright infringement lawsuits to come along in recent decades. That case was Fogarty vs. Fantasy, and here's a short explanation of the case courtesy of Wikipedia. The song was the subject of controversy when Saul Zantz, the boss of CCR's record label Fantasy Records, which owns the distribution and publishing rights to the music of Credence Clearwater Revival, brought a series of lawsuits against John Fogarty, including a claim that the music from Fogarty's 1984 song, The Old Man Down the Road, was too similar to Run Through the Jungle. Zintz won some of his claims against Fogarty, but lost on the copyright issue Fantasy Incorporated vs. Fogarty. The judge found that an artist cannot plagiarize himself. After winning the case, Fogarty Suzanne's for the cost of defending himself against the copyright infringement claim. In such copyright cases, prevailing defendants seeking recompense were bound to show that original suit was frivolous or made in bad faith. Fogarty vs. Fantasy became precedent when the United States Supreme Court overturned lower court rulings and awarded attorney's fees to Fogarty without Fogarty having to show that Zant's original suit was frivolous. I think this is essentially the famous case where Fogarty sued himself, as they like to say. So that's Run Through the Jungle by CCR. Anyway, the NOM number 55 is our issue this time around, and that came out on February 26, 1991. It was cover dated April of 91. The cover is by Andy Kubert and shows Joe Hallen in the middle of the jungle holding the shirt of a fallen comrade and screaming while his rifle smokes. The trade dress is the same as the previous issue, and what I have to say is I really love about all of the covers of the storyline is the way color is used. Whereas most of the covers of the series have detailed backgrounds, or backgrounds that use quite a bit of colors, these all have one color as a sort of a background theme. Last issue it was an off-white or cream color. This issue is green, and Joe and the Fallen Soldier are both colored in a pinkish hue. It's quite striking and captures the tone of the issue very well. As for the issue, the sticks was written by Chuck Dixon. Wayne Van Zant was our breakdown artist. Tony DeZinniger was the finisher. Phil Felix was the letterer. Bob Sharon was the colorist. Don Daly was your editor. Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. There's also a note that says thanks to Joe O'Donnell for his help. 
We open in Vietnam, where Joe is buying some used camo fatigues from a local. He haggles with them and then walks away with the new uniform. He then heads back to camp, where the guys in his team are complaining that a fifth person is just going to make things worse. He tells his gunnery sergeant that he's not too happy to hear them complaining about them, especially if he has to rely on them watching out for him. The gunnery sergeant tries to calm him down by telling him the problem isn't with him, it's that the five-man teams are the brass's way of turning what should be a recon mission into a combat mission. Joe gets the point, and Goose, one of the other guys, starts giving him a tutorial on how to get prepped for the recon mission. Joe tells him that he's experienced, but Goose says that he's going to have to learn to forget what he knows from his previous experience because this is a whole new ball game. Another guy, Marty, takes Joe into his supply bunker, which is where he's got several different kinds of guns for Joe to choose from. Joe ch- takes a shotgun and they get on the chopper, then head on the rain. The gunnery sergeant tells Joe to stick close to him, and when Joe says he's used to walking point, the sergeant tells him not to question him. They head through the jungle and Joe and Marty have a conversation about why Joe came back and what's at home for each of them. The recon mission continues and they go silent. Another guy, Speed, says he has a feeling. It's just then when Joe spots some Vietnamese soldiers. Goose tells them to cool down because they're not MVA. They're on our side, a group they call Yards, which is short for Montagnard. Goose tells Joe they can trust these guys, and Joe goes along reluctantly, mentioning that the yards he's used to were mostly laborers, and the weapons they're holding look a little too new. They light a fire and begin cooking some meat. Joe heads off to go to the bathroom, while the gunnery sergeant confers with the yards about the locations and where they're headed. As Joe goes off to relieve himself, he spots something, and then he sees it's a body. He grabs his gun and smacks it into the face of a Vietnamese soldier with a shotgun. Another one raises his rifle at him, and Joe gets him with the shotgun, which alerts the others. The yard's cover is blown, and they begin attacking the Americans, with one of them slashing Goose and with his machete, killing him. They take care of the yards, and as they are trying to figure out what to do next, Joe comes back and says, Look like you got your wish, Gunny. Looks like we got that four-man team you was wanting. Marty says, That's cold, and Joe says, That's the truth, man. We got all the experience in the bush. Instincts. Mine are as good as yours or Gunny's. They head out taking Goose's body with them and blow up the camp on their way out, then call for dust-off. As Joe and Speed look out for Charlie, Speed asks how Joe knew the yards were bad news, and Joe says they were smiling too much and it made him suspicious. Speed calls him a hard case, and the gunnery sergeant apologizes for not listening to him because he was so worried about him tripping him up. He's going to put Joe on point and gives him the nickname Hard Case. The choppers come, and while the rest of the guys sit relieved that they're getting out alive, Joe falls asleep. Hardcore, man. Hardcore. Speed says. I've already talked about this issue's cover, so I'm going to go right ahead and move on to the story and the art. They're both easy to talk about, as both are really solid. Art-wise, Tony DiZaniga continues to be a very good match for Wayne Van Zandt. He's a very detail-oriented finisher, and it shows, especially in the scenes where Van Zandt is relying a lot on Joe Hallen's facial expressions to tell the story. Page 19 is a great example of this. It's a nine-panel grid that starts with a shot from far away, then a panel of Joe sniffing something and looking behind him. We zoom out to a full-body shot of Joe and a hand sticking out of the brush, a close-up of the hand, Joe reaching down to the hand, another shot of the hand with fly buzzing toward it, then Joe surprised, a look at the upper body of the dead soldier, then Joe sweating and looking alarmed. With the exception of sniff in panel two and Joe's one line of dialogue, Dag, something's kicking in panel three. There's no dialogue, and there really isn't any more dialogue until the second-to-last panel on page 20 when the rest of the unit hears Joe's shotgun, and we get a whole sequence of eight- and nine-panel grid pages of the fight between the Marines and the Matanyards. 
There's no over-reliance on the splash page. There's no crazy fire with everything you've got moment or no screaming no or anything like that. It's not only well-paced but almost rhythmic. And for such a critical moment, it's really done well. Dixon is moving the story along too. It's part two of five. So at this point, we're still getting more in the way of complication. And honestly, it's going to get a little more you know, we're getting a little more in terms of exposition as well because the way that Hallen has joined up with this group and is going to be with them through the rest of the story. Personally, while I would have liked to seen a little more of Joe at home, I do appreciate the fact that Dixon didn't postpone the inevitable, which was Joe re-upping because it was the only place it felt like he belonged. Furthermore, I'm glad the storyline isn't about race or racial tensions. Not that those issues aren't important, especially in the greater context of the 60s and the Vietnam War. But we've seen quite a bit about race and racism already in this series. So seeing a story where Joe's not trusted by his gunnery sergeant because he's just the newbie and the guy's a little bit of a control freak in a sense, or, or at least stubborn, well, that works because by the end of the issue, Joe is one of them. And whatever tension will happen will be as a result of the group's actions and not their infighting. I'm honestly curious as to how this gets more complicated and what happens from here on out. And we'll see that next episode. Right now... Let's take a look at letters and ads. Incoming this month. First letter is from Adam Martin, whose address was held, withheld by request. He says, It's obvious to everyone that our soldiers in the Persian Gulf right now have been getting more respect than the Vietnam veterans did. My parents think this is because there are people out there that want to make up for the shame of the Vietnam veterans' homecoming. After the slew of Vietnam stories from the entertainment industries, I feel that we are now more supportive than ever of our armed forces. The NAM is a part of this effort in an indirect sort of way, and I think you guys should be proud. The Punisher storyline in issue 52 looks better than I expected it to be. The big question on the story be, be, seems to be, did the real Frank Castle commit suicide in an underground NVA base? I'm going to take a wild guess about what issue 53 will reveal. Hank, here's my guess. The Frank Castle that died, is he really dead, in Southeast Asia is actually the Punisher's father. <laughs> Keep on doing stories about the 23rd Infantry and the 3rd Marines. I'd like to see some appearances by Rob Little, Andy Clark, and the Pig to find out what they're doing now. I think you should especially stick with using Ed Marks. He was the main character in issues 1 through 13, so I think we should be updated on what he's been up to. That's it from me. Keep up the good work. And that's the only um, letter in the issue. We have the next issue. Uh, we have the next issue preview box we have a very black and white kind of silhouetted picture of what looks like joe hallen standing among jungle trees there's the same send a sub to soldier for substantial savings thanks marvel for the alliteration for the operation desert storm uh soldiers and we have a lot of nom notes air cav modern cavalry and helicopters ak soviet ak-47 assault rifles buku many Blooper rounds, frag grenades shot from an N79 grenade launcher, Cobras, Cobra H1 attack helicopter, Cochon, French for pig, CP, command post, Didi, get out of the area, dust off, picked up by a helicopter, funny papers, orders for a mission, intervals, space between two people, clicks, kilometers, LZ, landing zone, MR3 is a map reference, MR4 is a map reference, napalm, gas lace gelatin that burns and sticks to people, noise discipline, no talking, use only hand signals. Number 10 deal, bad deal, the worst. Perimeter, outer area of patrolling. Pogue, new guy, a.k.a. boot. Red ball trail, re-up, re-enlist in the military. Script, military money. Special case, Swedish automatic machine gun. 
Tigers, Tiger Camo Utility Uniform. VC or Victor Charles is the Viet Cong, and a yard is a Montagnard. And if you want to know all about the U.S. Postal Service Statement of Ownership Management and Circulation required by 39 of the USC 3685, um, you can go ahead and check track, track down an, uh, a copy of this issue. Ads this month, uh, Double Dragon 3 again. Uh, the Mega Man 3 game. Uh, once again, this was I have this game. This is a, this is a fun game to play. All the Mega Man games are fun. Science Fiction Book Club. Give it up, Joe. You can't shoot holes in their offer. Choose any five for a dollar with membership. Score baseball cards featuring Don Mattingly. And we got Ken Griffey Jr., David Dave Justice, Schwan Dunstan, Nolan Ryan, Terry Shumpert, who is a rookie prospect for the Royals. Huh. A first-round draft pick, Todd Van Poppel for the Oakland Athletics. And Don Mattingly is saying, score gets my vote again in 1991. With an exclusive Mickey Mantle cards, see details on score series 2 wrappers. Interesting. There's a all-new Dungeons & Dragons game coming soon with an ad for that. Uh, the same Silver Surfer video game ad and the High Score Contest ad are in here. Bullpen Bulletins Month. Uh, it is the Happy New Year one. Stan is basically um, talking about what's going to go on in 1991. He says, uh, I resolved to stop huckstering our big new production of 1991, The Marvel World of Tomorrow. You've heard enough about it. Uh, we're about to change his Titanic title. I will bombastically breathe a word about nor will I bombastically breathe a word about the fact that you'll learn the new name in our very next soapbox so I'm going to assume this is what they changed to Marvel 2099 um, he says he's going to stop using alliteration yeah we'll see that happens uh, and he says he will oh he's making all his retro, revolutions resolutions and he's he mentions the distinguished competition um, and let's see what's going on in Marvel uh, in January. Here, what the Marvel freelancers have resolved for in the coming year. Chris Claremont resolved to become a lean, mean writing machine with hair. He says the resolution falls under the writing of fantasy. Um, John Bishema is returning to Savage Sword of Conan. He's going to try to get more money from Marvel. Ron Friends is the his ambition is the same as every freelancer to get all his projects on schedule. Uh, let's see if anybody else we recognize. Jim Starlin says, I haven't done a New Year's resolution in years. I'm perfect as I am. Jim Lee, oh, sorry, ultra hot penciler Jim Lee has an admirable goal. I want to refine my craft and hone my abilities to a higher plateau or work on more commercial books like the new X-Men number one I'm doing with Chris Claremont. So, yeah, there you go. New Year's resolutions from the Marvel bullpen. Um, Fleer has some, some uh, baseball cards and there's a Bam, zoom, and pow sound effects. We're talking about how awesome these cards are and how cool they look, and there are team logo stickers, and they're just awesome. Uh, the, ooh, number three in a series. Three Musketeers Adventure. Deep in outer space, the cargo shuttle Eagle 5 approaches space station. It's secret 3Ms. Dan, did you get a load of this cargo list? Sure did. What could they possibly be building up there? That would need 3,000 tons of... Chocolate? 
It'll take the inhabitants of Delta Six a year to eat that Three Musketeers. Not if we help them. Where will Three Musketeers turn up next? Big on chocolate. Back cover, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have mutated again, and this is an ad for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game coming for the NES. Oh, that was a big deal when they finally released that. We used to rent that all the time from the video store. All right, so that does it for the nom number 55. When I get back, I'm going to take a break. When I get back, I'm going to come back with a special look at a special Christmas episode of the classic Fox television show, 21 Jump Street. Stick around. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... You know what? I I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like season two of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailitude.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Christmas in Saigon is episode 11 of season 2 of the show 21 Jump Street. It aired on the Fox Network on December 20th, 1987. The cast is as follows. Johnny Depp as Officer Tom Hansen. Peter DeLuise as Doug Penhall. Hobby Robinson as Judy Hoffs. Dustin Nguyen as Harry Aoki. And Stephen Williams as Captain Adam Fuller. If you're unfamiliar with the concept of the show, Jump Street is the name of an undercover police force where young-looking cops are put into high schools. This particular episode doesn't actually have an undercover assignment, as it focuses on the backstory of one of the characters, and that is Harry Aoki, played by Dustin Nguyen. We begin at the Jump Street Christmas party, where, I- where Aoki and Penn Hall are doing a dueling Brando's impersonation thing. It goes over wonderfully as they are chatting with Sal, the Jump Street office maintenance guy, who's played by Sal Jenko. 
An officer from Eternal Affairs, David Miller, who's played by Arthur Taxer, comes in and tells Harry that he's suspended pending an investigation because he's not really Harry Aoki. Harry reveals he's not. His real name is Vin Van Tran. He's not Japanese as he claimed on his application to the Academy. He's from Vietnam. Through a series of conversations, Aoki tells everyone about how he came to the United States and joined the police force. He grew up in Saigon and was a teenager in 1975, living in a poor neighborhood and spending time on the streets with his best friend, Tai Q. In April, not too long before the city fell, his parents made the decision to head to the American embassy and seek asylum. His father, who's played by Keone Young, one of those hey it's that guy character actors who shows up in quite a number of things, tells him that they are leaving the next morning and not to tell anyone. Vin sneaks out and tells Tai Q, and the next day he goes to the American Embassy from where they are brought to a beach. Tai Q sneaks his way in and reunites with Vin, but the reunion is short as the VC begin firing at the refugees and Tai Q is shot and killed. Having been separated from his parents who we assume are dead, Vin winds up in Guam, where he manages to pick up some English and befriends Corporal McKay, who is played by Paul Jarrett, and gets a job on the food line. Refugees are pouring in by the hundreds and thousands, day after day, and the army is running out of food, and Vin does what he can to provide for the people in his tent. Vin is eventually sent to live in St. Louis, where he is taken in by a kind old woman he calls Grandma Bessie, who helps him learn English by having him watch Sesame Street. He eventually graduates high school. He steals the identity of a deceased child of Japanese descent named H.T. Aoki, as he's convinced that the police force will not want a Vietnamese refugee. He applies, he is accepted into the academy, and then he winds up at Jump Street. Now, the entire time Harry is telling this story, and I should point out that it's to various people at various times, both Miller from IA and Jeffrey Liebster, Harry's lawyer, are prepping for the hearing that has resulted from the police department uncovering Harry's lying, something that happened, by the way, when the department's personnel files went into a database and his social security number was flagged. Immigration is not involved because Harry was given resident alien status when he entered the country. Furthermore, he had begun the process of legally changing his name, but he'd never finished it. This is where Captain Fuller can help, and proves reluctant to do so. Fuller is a Vietnam veteran himself, and the moment he finds out that Harry is from Vietnam, he becomes standoffish and even hostile. Harry doesn't get why, so Hansen takes it upon himself to get self-righteous and badger the captain. Fuller eventually reveals that one of his best friends, Reggie, was killed when a 14-year-old kid rolled a grenade under his jeep. It is such an effect on him that we see that Fuller still has nightmares about the war. At that hearing, Leapster presents a case for his client, saying that Harry admits his guilt, but has an excellent record as a police officer, and then Fuller takes the stand and vouches for him as well. Later in the Jump Street Chapel, Fuller shows Aoki the piece of paper he recently found, one of Harry's old name change forms which Jump Street's previous captain, Captain Jenko, had filed away. Liebster says this is great for Harry because it proves he tried to correct the mistake and takes it with him. Later on, Hansen calls Fuller's bluff, saying, Jenko never filed a thing in his life. Fuller more or less gives him a wink and says it's, well, it's a Christmas miracle. The episode ends with several of the characters getting together at Hansen's mom's house for Christmas dinner, and a toast to all who are there and who never made it.
Now, to shed some light on the continuity, uh, there's at least one episode later in the show's run where it's hinted that Harry's family may be alive in Vietnam, and it provides a moral quandary for him because it's a corrupt businessman makes him an offer to find him, find them. But here, this is a complete shock, as Aoki was introduced as the first in the first episode of the Japanese. And according to the liner notes in the Season 2 DVD, the episode is actually based on the experience of Dustin, Dustin Nguyen's escape from Vietnam. However, his parents survived, and it's implied that his parents on the show did not. What you have here is almost a very special episode, although it brings to light what was a complicated issue from the late 1970s and the early 1980s, which was the plight of refugees entering the country from Vietnam, Cambodia, and other countries in Southeast Asia. The nickname for these refugees was Boat People, because the images of boats full with refugees arriving at military bases in the Pacific, some stock footage of which actually is used in the episode. Of course, this takes place 12 years after the fall of Saigon in 1975, so it's about how many people were still trying to heal from their experiences at the war as well. And those scars run deep. Stephen Williams, for one, gives a great performance here because the moment he finds out that Harry is Vietnamese and was a teenager in Saigon in the 1970s, all of his unresolved feelings come right to the surface. He's angry and seems to be desperately trying to not let that anger get the better of him, especially since he has known Aoki very well and he has seen him work. Aoki is not the kid who rolled the grenade under his friend's jeep, but it's a well-done way to show how a former soldier can develop prejudices as a result of his experiences. And Hansen tries to be all, I'm going to be your conscience, but to Fuller's credit, he never fully takes that bait. Yes, he pulls through for Aoki at the end, but I'd like to think that's because he's an adult and not because Hansen brays at him. Anyway, the conflict that arises between Aoki and Fuller is played so well between the two actors that it feels like palpable. Aoki feels that he has nothing to apologize for because he clearly went through a lot, just as Fuller did. It is a way of showing how war affects quite a number of people on all sides, and its distance in time from the end of the war provides a perspective that we haven't gotten yet from most stories we've seen, because except for a few of the stories and the things they carried, they all take place during the war and not years after. And the ghosts in Vietnam stuck around for years afterward in our political conversations, even coming up during the 2004 presidential election. Here, it's on a much smaller scale, but it works very well. If I have any issue with the episode, it's with the in- attempts to inject holiday lightheartedness into the very serious storyline, courtesy of Penn Hall and Sal, plus the last scene, which does get very schmaltzy. Granted, it's very much a convention of the time this show was produced, but it's only almost groan-worthy, especially when that last shot is done with a sort of fuzzy cheesecloth lens and everybody's making that toast. Still, I've always loved 21 Jump Street, and this was an episode that worked. If you have the opportunity to watch it, I recommend it. And that'll do it. I'm going to be taking a break for the holidays. I'll be back in January with the next issue of the series, as well as another special feature. So happy holidays, everyone, and as always, thanks for listening, and take care. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics' The Nom. The Nom and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. 
Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom.